Keep your hands and head inside the vehicle at all times. Buckle your seatbelts, check your mirrors, sit on back and relax. It's lights out and away we go for the Tall and Short of It podcast. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tall and Short of It podcast coming to you live from the doctor's office. I'm your host, Justin. And I'm Aaron. Welcome back, everyone. We've got a pretty packed episode. We've got some more Formula One news and team um, previews looking at uh, Haas and Aston Martin today. We've got a number of League of Legends matchups, LPL, LCK, and the LCS is making a comeback. Uh, and then, of course, some Magic the Gathering to wrap it all up. Um, but, Justin, good to see you. Excited for a, a busy pod. Yeah, good to see you, too. Now, I'm curious, are you able to tell where my... Um... Are you able to tell where my kind of intro thing is coming from? Does it surprise you every week or are you just laughing uh, for my my posterity? So one, I, I enjoy the I'm laughing because I enjoy the surprise of what it's going to be. Um, sometimes I can tell where it's coming from. Um, other times I am just waiting to hear about it, which I also amuses me because I'm just nice. like, oh, I want, I'm curious where this is going to come from. So, um, and then of course you're catching me at the beginning of the pod. I'm always happy sure. to be here for that. So sure. Very good. <laughs> nice to, uh, you know, introduce a little, a little sprinkle of a teaser there in the beginning, but yeah, it's usually, you know, part of my rose thorn and seed or my flavor of the week or whatever. But yes, sir. Good to be back. Good to see you. Happy to be here now. Tell me about your week. What's your rose thorn and seed for us this week? Uh, so my week's been overall pretty good. A uh, couple hiccups and things, so I'll of course get to those in my thorn. But today, I was telling you before we got uh, went live, that it was a little bit of a wonky day. And so um, with Colleen and I both in the office, uh, we had our dog sitter and then Willie come over to watch Senna a little bit. So shout out to Willie for that. Uh, it was a big help. But I didn't have time really to uh, to cook because cooking with Senna and just me there is not easy because she just needs attention at the end of the day, um, which is fair. So it's easier to, for me to cook when Colleen's home. So I went to McDonald's and that it was the like weirdest experience I've had at a McDonald's, which I feel like is saying something at least. Mm-hmm. I'm, I like went in and this McDonald's, it's like very close to my house. It's uh, like two minutes away. Um, but we really don't go that often. And part of that is because the service is just generally slow. It's typically like, it's not in the best area. The workers are oftentimes like just really young kids, like high school age kids. Um, and, and so if they're working their first job and whatnot, it's not always the uh, most efficiently run kind of place. Sure. Um, but I'm in there and it was slower than usual. Like I was third in line and it took me 10 minutes or so just to be able to order. And like, it's a pretty quick process. You're like, I want this, this, this boom done. And they start making your food. But mm-hmm. as I'm standing there, I'm just hearing some like, side conversation from the back about where like where's Darius where is where's Darius at and like people are like looking around they're like he was here earlier like he was here at three and Darius is nowhere to be seen and uh the the managers are like 
scrambling, trying to get people's food together. Like even once all my food was ready, there was still like, they have the fries, like everything else is set to go. And they're like, sorry, we're just waiting a couple minutes to get these fries done. Yada, yada, yada. And the whole time there's all this back and forth about Darius mm-hmm. and like man, the managers getting more and more upset and one manager is like yelling to one of the employees who is like, I guess they're he and Darius are buddies or whatever. And they're like, call him right now. Like go in. And they're like, he is not allowed to leave. The people are like, Oh yeah, we saw he left. They're like, he is on today. Like for his shift, just going on and on. And he's not allowed back here unless he talks to me and this other shift manager first. Mm -hmm. And just like, if he does not like, you can tell him if he doesn't do that and comes back here, he is done. Mm -hmm. And just going on about, uh, like uh, the, the one like supervisors like joking with uh the, one of the people in line she's like uh yeah don't don't do this as like your first job <laughs> or any job <laughs> i'm like like oh this girl's just having a day but uh it was just it made me laugh and kind of think about like my first job a little bit um and how uh, i'm sure there were moments where i was like and uh, not leaving the job, but like running around, like not really knowing what's going on and all. Sure. Um, and so I was curious, what was your actual first job? Because I know you've had you've had a few over the years. But like, what cream. did you start? Scoop and ice cream. Mm-hmm. All right. At a at a Cold Stone or just a local, like a local place. Yeah. What was yours? Uh, catering. So okay, serving serving food and. Uh, after a little while helping to cook the food and then serve it. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was just funny thinking about the, like working in food service, kind of the hectic Mm -hmm. nature it can get. And it's like dinner. So it's a busy rush, but, um, but I just thought it was pretty amusing as I was standing there. I'm like, at least I've got some entertainment. (laughs) Well, and then here's the other side of it. And Darius, if you're listening, man, I hope everything's okay. Is like, it sounds like there's an air of like probably not the first time this happened. There may be oh, yeah. like you know other points against this individual. Or they're like saying either like oh he comes in on his off day for a free meal, but he can't come to a shift. And I'm oh, like, oh, gotcha, gotcha. I'm like this guy is just getting roasted. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So maybe you had some some other things to take care of there. But yeah, that's pretty funny. Well. I'll tell you, one of the last times I was at a McDonald's, there was a uh, pretty aggressive and loud breakup in the parking lot. Sounded like there might have been like another girl involved. This one wasn't too happy, you know, peeling out of the parking lot. Like it was it was pretty wild. Um, I think a drink may have got tossed on a Mercedes at one point. There was uh, there was a lot going on. So, yeah, it can be uh, it can be an interesting spot, man. Yeah, McDonald's uh, dinner and a show. So dinner and a show. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, McDonald's musical. But, <laughs> uh, but to to kind of talk about the rest of my week, I'll get uh, get into it. My rose for this week: uh, the Eagles are going to the Super Bowl, baby. I'm pumped. Yeah. I'm excited. I Go think that they are the best team in the league right now, and so I think that. Uh, even though every every match is tough at this point, every game, um, I, I 
feel confident in their their chances of winning. So I'm very pumped about that uh, a couple weeks nice. from now. Um, for my thorn this week, it's still kind of some of the reoccurring recent ones. I'm still dealing with this lady that I'm moving to a new apartment. She's just tedious and a bit frustrating, but I'm like just working through and doing it. I, I think I'm handling it very well. Like good, always good interactions with her, just being polite, treating her like anyone else, even though she uh, is not on, on my Christmas card list, but, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so still just dealing with that. She's moving this weekend to the new apartment. So I'm hoping that all is just Mm. like, okay, gotcha. Crisp, clean, good to go. And, uh, and I don't have to hear from her too much, but, um, the other thorn is just my one coworker. There's still some, some communication issues there and everything. And Mm. it's, just frustrating because i i have never struggled to like be able to work with someone and i over communicate things and in this scenario this is the only scenario i've ever had where over communicating is like an issue so it's still we're working through it um things have gotten slightly better but i'm just like i don't know how long term this will work if there's always this kind of like tension of I'm trying not to step on your toes. And if I do even a little bit, you're like coming at me. It's just, Mm -hmm. I, it's, it's stressful. Anytime there's like something that comes up that I'm just like, uh, like now I have to think about how to do this so that I'm not upsetting anyone, not rocking the boat. So sure. Damn. That's pretty, that's pretty frustrating where they can't just be a little, uh, it, it's like, uh, there it's just sensitivity of like thinking that I'm trying to like step in their territory or their domain and I'm really not. I'm really just trying to help give them the best information that I can so that yeah. they can do their job the best they can and like the most efficiently. Not to not to like micromanage so, like a grown adult person who's like doing their thing. So mm-hmm. um, I'm like perfectly competent at the job. Yeah. Like I, I have no, no concerns really about competence uh, at all. I'm just like people, residents ask me what's going on with things. And then I have to ask. And then it's seen as like me being in his business. And I'm like, I'm only asking cause someone asked me, like I'm right. just trying to get Don't information. The messenger. Yeah. So mm. That's uh, it's been a little, little tough, but we're it's it's like I said, gradually getting better. So I'm hoping going in the right direction. Um, but for my seed this week, I have some friends coming down from New York. We're doing our kind of late um, Christmas gathering gift exchange thing. Uh, since this was the soonest people could really find a weekend to get together um so it'll be cool to see them a bunch of my college friends that i haven't seen really since this uh this summertime when we had some weddings and all so nice yeah uh that's my rose thorn and seed for this week justin what have you had going on uh over on your side of the uh 
the highway. Well, that sounds pretty exciting. A little bit of a little bit of a college gathering. I uh, I hope that goes well for you. Um, on my side of the highway here, got some got some just fucking heaters for you here. So my rose here for the week. Uh, me and Sarah have been talking about it for a long time, and I don't know what spurred the conversation, but I must have been just like floating on cloud nine standing in the kitchen like soon it's all gonna be gone man it's all gonna be gone man and she was like dude i know man and uh so we decided to finally pull the trigger on the infinity saga because we were like if disney plus goes man we're never gonna be able to watch it again dude so we ordered the blu-rays of the of the full infinity saga we made the very, very frugal decision to buy. I'm pretty sure it's like a European port of the Blu-rays. So mm-hmm. it's just like a way more condensed product where you still get like a bunch of the bonus features. You still get like little posters, all the movies, great quality and everything. But there's one release like from marvel that's like the full box set has like a case yeah. and like all the the difference in price astronomical so you better oh, yeah. believe we did the budget boy option and we just got you know each of the phases but boy are we super pleased um to go back through it and nice. we may we may be doing something interesting with it uh so yes stay tuned for that but yeah that's my rose we were super excited to get the uh, infinity saga on blu-ray well and remind me when so Infinity Saga is just in the like Avengers movies in that. Or, right. or does it's, that include any of the tertiary? In movies? our in in our minds, the only thing me and Sarah care about is Iron Man leading up to Far From Home. Okay. The the Spider-Man film that came after Endgame, which acted like yeah. which acted as an epilogue to kind of the whole thing yeah but i guess it's like those 21 films so iron man to okay so so really all of them yeah Mm -hmm. okay we don't care about the tv shows or anything in like oh yeah yeah. no i was just just thinking is this a like avengers one avengers two avengers three like just three movies or is this thing like just fucking all all of them? them Okay, yeah. So that is definitely a huge collector's thing. Uh, so I can imagine when you watch them, do you go timeline chronology or do you do release order? We've only ever done them release order, but I would like to do the chronological order. I it's, think that would be super fun. I think it's cool because I've uh, I've done that and like starting off with the like older shit with like uh, Captain America and stuff like that is it's mm-hmm. uh, just kind of a, a little different way to watch through. So right, right. I think uh, I think that may be the way that we do it next. Because um, yeah, that sounds that sounds super interesting. And now we can do it whenever we want. When the world ends and the zombies start eating people, we can still watch it on Blu-ray. Um, there you go. That's that's what we tell ourselves. So then my thorn here for the week is I. 
just a fucking doozy of a day. I'm not going to like waste really any time on it, but I do just want to say I have to get better at um, like giving blood and like having samples and like being in a medical office. Dude, I went to donate plasma today and just like a little bit of a, a little bit of a needle fiasco. I felt a little faint. So I told the lady I end up being there for like another like hour and a half, like while they like check my vitals and everything. At a certain point, I'm like, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm really fine. Whatever. So it was just like this whole thing. I wasn't able to donate. It was a like an insane time sink frustration embarrassment like all dude are you just not a no needles kind of guy no it's not that i believe it specifically is like blood slash like uh like it feels like there is something intrinsically linked to like the pain factor in my mind where like Mm. this the only reason i'm seeing this is because there was some type of damage to a human body like oh okay that's a really like different perspective on it and i cannot get away from that kind of thinking and it doesn't feel like anything else like believe me what in the moments oh, that it's yeah. come up, I've like really thought about it and was like, what is this? And it feels like it's that it's like seeing blood after like damage being done in some way, either medical or not. So whatever, I'm feeling faint. They give me the little power bar. I drink the Powerade, but I leave just feeling like, no, 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 no. Okay, wait. Or so is it you thinking about like, other like the other people that have gone through whatever it is that they need blood and plasma or is it more the fact that you're like just sitting there actively watching your body be given trauma basically to take your blood as a sacrifice to the gods i don't know if i would have had a negative reaction at all had Mm. had it not uh yeah Okay, so so I, so I looked down. I saw it like pooling on the chair and like on like my clothes, and I was just like, "Oh, that's weird." And it it triggered that response. Gotcha. And, okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a, a little different. I've never had that quite occur when I've given blood or plasma. I like mm-hmm. I can't look at it. I don't like needles, which mm-hmm. is funny having a big tattoo, but the, it's different. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it really is, but, um, but yeah, I like, I can't look at it because I'm just a little squeamish. I just don't like seeing something slide into my body like that, mm-hmm. like into my like vein. I don't know. It, it's weird, but the pain and whatnot, I could care less. I just right. can't watch him do that. And then I just like sit there and am fine till it's done. But yeah. And that's kind of how I thought it would go. It did not go that way. So, uh, boy, am I looking forward to next time. Because now in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm talking about this in therapy next week. I'm going to get to the bottom of this shit. And this is something I'm going to beat. I was like, I am not going to let some... I'm, uh-uh. And that, yeah. like, that became most of it is I was like, 
oh, give me another chance, damn it. Give me another chance. And they're yeah. like, you, you can't donate today. Like, that just, it's not yeah. allowed. I'm like, all right, fine. So just like a fucking, just woo, 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 emotional roller coaster, big time. Yeah. Um, cause like, goddamn, I just, uh, I wanted to donate, but that's my thorn here for today. A little bit of a funny story. Uh, overall, the kids are all right here. And then my seed here is I've decided, and it was something that worked out well this week because instead of, instead of not talking about it or having something frustrated to talk about, I decided to avoid playing magic on therapy days just because like you you incur a lot of emotional load and then later in the evening if there is something frustrating or something doesn't go quite right uh uh you know a, a plan a plan messes up i would be less inclined to have a more emotional response to it. Cause mm-hmm. I noticed it was last week. There was, there was something I felt needed to be like talked about and said, but the way I talked about it and said it, like, I, I don't think was really that positive. It was kind of clear the, like the players heard me, but like I said, I, I it just wasn't, that You're, well presented i that that's makes sense though like i think after going through a lot of that stuff and working on a lot of emotional like uh or emotions or feelings or thoughts or whatever you talk about in therapy um you view like i think that people have a kind of cap of uh like emotional energy more so than Mm -hmm. physical energy um that you can kind of manage in a day and some people have a lot more some people have a lot less but once you start reaching that cap i feel like your brain can't react in the most or the the best like emotional way if you're Mm -hmm. kind of at that edge and you're just like i i just can't put the the my brain can't go through the thought to like do this the best way because it's just Mm -hmm. tired so exactly and so i decided i don't want to do that so this week i tried uh, offsetting them and i think it was a much more positive experience so my seed is to hopefully continue doing that into the future because i don't want to uh yeah i don't want to make my friends feel bad because that's uh that's not cool but yeah that's my rose thorn seed here for the week and you're ready to talk some motorsport yeah absolutely so uh first off uh, i saw a cool tiktok with lucas blakely um who was the 2021 i believe f1 esport champion um who was racing in rally cars in the snow he beat uh valtteri botas on a um i I think they they looked like one lap races um and then went on to beat i believe it was mika hakkinen um later on so i was just impressed he's a f1 driver he's an f1 esports driver he's just recently started dipping his toes into the uh the actual physical racing world but to beat a couple of professional drivers even if it's not in their kind of primary expertise uh was i thought a pretty cool um 
thing to see that some of us video game dorks can go out there and do it. Yeah, sometimes those long, lanky legs are uh, good for something. And yeah, it's super impressive to watch him uh, watch him hit that snow track. I love a good rally race, and that's uh, yeah, that was a that was a pretty pretty good little. Well, you know, it's 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 not the the the, the full laps, unfortunately, but you do get the little clips of him schooling those, you know, arguably older gentlemen. But yeah, the skills definitely translating pretty well. Yeah, and so uh, that was a, a, a bit of kind of positive motorsport news to start off, but to, to flip it on its uh, head, um, there was an article that came out of the Business F1 magazine recently that uh, I don't know who wrote the article, but it basically um, was a pretty pretty awful article essentially saying that the uh, – W series, the women driving series was kind of a failure or is a bit of a failure because they didn't use their number one attribute to bring in like intrigue being sex appeal of them being women. Like this is basically what the article said. Um, and apparently kind of included, uh, talking about none of the drivers were like set up with F1 drivers to kind of help boost their like the, like the tweet that I saw that brought this up said basically um, the bemoaning none of the drivers were pimped out to F1 drivers. And so I was just like looking at this and reading it a little bit. And I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is, just not the look that uh, you want to have where I feel like we are in the formula one community and all and the, the drivers out there, they are really pushing to expand the, um, the horizons for people of all, all like race, gender, nationality, like sex. It doesn't matter trying to open doors for people to, um, prove that they are just as good of drivers or to give opportunities to people who maybe normally wouldn't have that, that opportunity. So to see that it's like just a complete step in the opposite direction. It sounds like it's straight out of the like seventies or sixties and just brutal. Well, yeah. And what my man whoever wrote the article he's he's taking the really boring take here if you really wanted to like if you really wanted to encourage the sex appeal it's you know attractive young women attractive young men why not put them together and you know then the females can get a little exposure that's pretty fucking boring bro the actual angle would be in the off season you do a dating show where you have the F1 drivers all mixing and mingling in some, you know, remote location and you put driver contracts on the line, you put cars on the line, you make them do ridiculous challenges. And then you see like, like what really goes on in a battle of the F1 sexes. I think that's where you would actually get some spice and actually be like, all right, yeah, yeah, these, 
these F- female F1 drivers are pretty cool. Yeah, I, don't, I think uh, I don't know about any kind of like to what'd you say bemoaning they weren't quote unquote pimped out. Honestly, that's disgusting. I kind of yeah, fucking hate that. I did, but but a dating show with Will Buxton as the host, I'd probably watch that. Yeah, that would be a lot more exciting than this article. Um, like, uh, yeah, it just it's rough, and then it's followed by a spread of just like grid girls in bikinis, like immediately after it. It's, yeah, it's, it's like, like they like doubled they doubled down on, no. <laughs> on just the sexism, but uh, yeah, not. Not the best, um, but another another thing that recently came to light a little bit. Apparently, um, FIA President Mohammed Ben Salam uh, had made some sexist comments on uh, some old website, um, essentially saying that he didn't like we- uh, women who think they're smarter than men. He has come out and uh, kind of said that that's not how he feels at this point in time. It was a long yeah. time ago, and yeah. like, and it's on like an archived website. It's not right. on a current website that you can. I who knows how someone tracked it down, but um, nonetheless, it, it yeah, not the not the best light. Um, and of course, there's still. Uh, a number of formula one management uh, that want him sacked um, between the talks about like um, the inflated price that was offered from Mm -hmm. Saudi Arabian uh, conglomerate. uh, And along with these things there, um, there are some people who would just want him to step down, which is kind of nuts after one year. I didn't think he did a terrible job. Um, but they are, uh, kind of the, the interest is that they want him out and they would like to see David Richards, who was, um, the director of the Benetton team back in 97 was with BAR, uh, for a little while and all, um, they would prefer he, um, I guess be the new, F, uh, FIA president. So it's, gotcha. it's interesting. Um, I don't know if there's really uh, a need for it, but just more news with, uh, with some of that drama. I mean, if he, if he comes out tomorrow and says, you know, well, man, not too smart. Uh, yeah, maybe sack him, but something that was said, you know, a little while back, I'm not too high on the, uh, I'm not high on the, you know, 10 year, 10 year later crucifixion. That seems tough. Yeah, there's, there, uh, there are some things that I would say yes. And some things I would say, no, there, there are things more egregious than, uh, someone who is maybe insecure a little bit about intelligent women around them, maybe feel it, making them feel not as smart. So they say something one time in it, uh, like a blog post or something like that. Like there's, there's a difference between that and then something that is really like actively damaging someone over a like long period of time. 
Yeah, um, sure. I think I think you could make that argument as well. Yeah, it's a it's such a, a gray area with a lot of that stuff. But I I agree. I don't think that that is um something that's worth kicking him for. Um, Nor am I like raising the guy's flag either. Oh uh, no! Like you said, I, only only one year in. It's tough to tough to know exactly the impact that they've had. Right. Um, a lot of things are just being changed directly due to whatever the frustrations were with the previous person. Sure. So, like, kind of actively trying to fix and put out fires, as opposed to like maybe building something and a direction for like where you're looking to go. Right. So. Um, so I, I don't think there's any plans for him to be gone, but, um, it's, uh, there's chatter. Um, then Christian Horner had an interview where he spoke about Andretti coming in, uh, with F1. So just, I'll keep this quick cause it's not too much, but, uh, Christian basically said that the, uh, the only two teams that are supporting the bid would either have a partnership with them or supply them with an engine. Um, everyone else is kind of like, why would we dilute the prize pool? So same, same kind of thought process as before, but, um, but I guess it makes sense why there's, uh, there are a few teams that are um, kind of pushing for them to be in cause they'll mm-hmm. make some, some money off it. So right. Um, makes sense. But uh Looking at some of the launches coming up, Will Buxton is going to be working with Williams for their uh, car release and uh, launch coming up on February 6th. So he'll be there um, helping them, I guess, in their broadcast uh, along with um, Alex Albon, Logan Sargent, and they'll be doing it on the the Williams Racing app. So they're going to hopefully have a smoother launch than previously using the app. Um, but I think it's a, a pretty cool way to do uh, that. What's amazing is like how much how much money you know is a production like that to you know have all the all the, just the whole just the whole fucking gamut, and then to be like we want to optimize this for the six inch screen. I was oh, yeah. like, well, like, and like I think there are you can like pull up a uh, model of like the car on the app and like, look at like turn it around and stuff. It's uh that's pretty neat. Yeah. So there's, so there's other things other than just like the, I guess broadcast. I, I don't know okay. how, how much more interactive it is, but it's a, yeah. uh, it's an interesting thing. Maybe I'll have to check it out on February 6th and, uh, and follow along. But cause isn't like the, doesn't, isn't part of the impact of something like, uh, like especially like a great movie that you've seen or like a concert? Part of it is like the size of the spectacle. Like mm. that took up my whole view field. There was even I even had to like turn to see all of it. There's something about like diluting it down to just like yeah, we want people to be able to like, yeah. You know? I don't know. I, I and that's likely just personal preference, but it's just it's just an interesting question to me. Yeah, it's um I'm gonna have maybe I'll mess around with the Williams racing app a little bit and see what all it is because I don't know, maybe it'll be like mostly chat features so that like audience members can ask questions to the drivers. Yeah, that would or, be really useful. Or where it's like 
you're watching it on another screen most likely and then like just submitting questions and stuff i so i don't know too much about it but okay uh, maybe i'll take a look into it a little bit but uh i did think it was cool that will buxton was going to be uh participating in that um and kind of working with the team so that's that's pretty neat yeah, I agree. I I definitely enjoy Will Buxton's um hosting and his like kind of deep motorsport knowledge. I really did enjoy his um uh this week's episode of this week uh where he just did these like little updates. That was pretty neat. Uh so yeah, uh excited to see Will Buxton with the Williams uh car release. That's cool. Yeah, so definitely neat. But to talk about the car release that we did have uh, from yesterday, what are Mm -hmm. your thoughts on this Haas livery? Um, We just had that announced a little bit different from the past couple of years, but still the same general scheme. Yeah, I I do think it looks mean, though. I think leaning into the black is pretty sweet. Uh, the wheel well colors are pretty cool. White, red, and black goes uh, quite well together, I would say. I do, I do really enjoy the little side scoop. It's got like a very flowing kind of uh, flowing kind of design there on the side. I like the I like the lettering there, how it like. Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Side panel. I like how it sweeps along the side panel there. Um, But yeah, I just the color scheme is really cool. And I think it looks meaner than uh, they have previously before. I think a lot of that has to do with the leaning into the black. What do you think about it? I I agree. I like the black. It's like matte too, which I like a bit better than like the uh, shiny, shimmery black. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I agree. Going with a bit more of that does make it look meaner. I do find it funny that their new main sponsor, MoneyGram, has a um, logo that's the same general color scheme as they are as well. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I, it, I was thinking it might be, it would be funny if their uh, like primary sponsor had just like really different colors like just this bright like orange or something like that that they uh had to slap there or or whatnot so um overall a really nice looking car i uh looks pretty slick and it's uh it'll be cool to see the two Haas drivers that we'll talk about uh shortly uh in that car coming up this year Mm -hmm. yeah looking forward to it and looking forward to some of the other reveals as they come along as well yeah and uh so we've got a few more of those coming up in the the near horizons um but talking about uh, a little bit about mclaren they announced that they are going to be able to use mick schumacher as a reserve driver uh if needed during the 2023 season because of their partnership with mercedes um so that's pretty cool that he'll be able to um help out there if needed as well um potentially just open up more doors and whatnot for him to be able to uh try and find his way back into f1 on onto the grid yeah and i think just having like a lot of exposure to the teams and organizations just helps in general you know you make a lot of contacts and you get to know people they they see you doing this, you know, your sim work and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I think the more, more connections you get, or 
I should say like this. It seems like the more connections you keep as a Formula One driver, the better off you are. Oh, I, I would definitely agree. And I think uh, like there's always going to be conversations around the grid about like what the different other reserve drivers and whatnot or sim drivers for a team, like how they are helping them and things like that. That's going to that information is going to get around of who's mm-hmm. doing a good job with like putting good test time and whatever into the vehicles. So definitely uh, it can't hurt to, to be able to potentially step in, in another uh, seat if needed. Um, sure. But McLaren also uh, Zach Brown came out with an interview recently where he said that McLaren is probably two or three years away from fighting for F1 wins, which is pretty tough except for the fact that they do have Lando signed for a contract up until 2026, I believe. So he's going to be here for the foreseeable future to, to hopefully get to that point where McLaren is seeing down the road that they're going to be fighting for wins, but it's a bummer because it really, they were, I felt like really on an upward trajectory until last year, they kind of, took a step back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I was personally hoping to see them up there fighting with the other top teams uh, a little bit quicker, but um, it looks like it may be when Lando is, uh, is maybe like grown in a beard, a little bit older, a little bit gruffer uh, before, before we're seeing that. Well, I'm curious. So, a lot of our perspective last year was taking Daniels. We're like, oh, you know, looking for good results and, you know, hoping Daniel does really well. And man, it's just a shame. Like he can't get under the car. Mm-hmm. And like, man, like is the McLaren like really this tough to drive and yada, yada. What if we look at it from the other angle and say like, damn, Daniel Ricardo was actually really holding McLaren from getting like good feedback and good development into their car we kept having to see lando norris like overperform on weekends and it was constantly like man he's like really getting the most out of that car and damn like look at him compared to his teammate like uh you know uh this guy's getting p5 p6 like where's daniel and like all these mm-hmm. things i'm i mean am i wrong no, you know so the, so the thing is like from mclaren's point of view whoo let's go this guy's fucking out of here man now we can like move forward now we can develop and and believe me i'm not like i'm not trying to deride daniel just there's definitely two sides to every story where like now if they have this driver that is like struggling to get results you're clearly not like making it better you're just you're just trying to tread water and stay afloat so there is something to like if they're able to get a, a driver more comfortable in their car faster, the chance, the chance to improve on the 2022 season is like insanely high. Cause you're yeah. right. It was like pretty small peanuts. Yeah. And looking at it, um, I mean, Swapping out the driver uh, will hopefully, yeah, maybe bring a new perspective in and all. But having having Lando locked into that long term contract and everything, 
um, I think is just big for them as well to continue to mm-hmm. like, uh, it's like what we've talked about with, um, with Mercedes, we've talked about with Red Bull a little bit with Lewis and with Max and all where drivers being at a team for a longer period of time gives them the ability to help a lot more with the development of the cars because you're able to have a good working relationship with your technical team, with your engineers and all to be able to provide good feedback to like, you know how to communicate with each other. There's no barrier there. You're able to just kind of like push forward ideas instead of trying to figure out how to just communicate them. And so, uh, so definitely good to have Lando on for, for quite some time. If, even if it is a couple of years before they think they'll be up there fighting for wins. Um, and then just getting down to some little Red Bull tidbits. Um, they are very close. It's apparently something that Red Bull has been looking to do for a long time, but to cover their, um, to cover like their costs of the F1 team through their licensing royalties and their uh, sponsorship revenue, as opposed to like needing any additional funding from the parent company. And uh, he said they're pretty close to getting there. Um, and they may have an easier time getting there because they are uh, set accordingly to some uh, uh, or a few different people around the Red Bull team that there is a plan for them to partner with Ford, like we had said last week, as the mm-hmm. um, the engine supplier and partner for the Red Bull team. So a very very interesting thing to kind of see unfold. And so they have their car release, I believe, uh, this Friday the third. So if you're listening to this with the Thursday gang, you'll hear about the Red Bull uh, release tomorrow. Or yeah the day after you listen to this. Um, so pretty cool. Uh, and then of course, uh, there's some talk about the cost cap, but also, uh, along with, um, just looking at the handicaps from the penalties they're receiving this year, uh, they reportedly have changed out about 90% of the aerodynamic surface for the car. Um, so, diving right into that budget um with their development uh with a lot of lot of changes it sounds like to the arrow of the car gotcha so so you're saying where previously it was red bull powertrain with a honda engine it is now rebel powertrain with a ford engine or I guess it will be. I'm not sure if it, uh, how quickly that will be okay. like um, a thing, but I would assume that the current Red Bull powertrain team would then start working with Ford um, in regards to like development and different like um, construction and, and probably like creation of parts and whatnot. So, gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So, uh, interesting thing to keep an eye on for sure. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the, the little rundown of motorsports news that I, uh, had before we get into this team preview. Nice. Now I had a, I had a, a, a pretty good dating profile for you last week. And I don't honestly think I can top it because this specimen is, 
It's a little fresher, a little younger, a little wet behind the gills, if you know what I'm saying. So we'll we'll see what you think. But I've got some I've got some data points here on the Aston Martin team. We got to take it back a little bit because I've learned a lot, and uh, we're gonna take a look at some classic races that I know we've uh, enjoyed a good bit of to kind of tell the story a little bit of Aston Martin here. I'll make it quick for you though. So Asimar based out of Silverstone in the UK right now, their team chief is Mike crack and their technical chief officer just promoted. I believe his name is Andrew green. Uh, their chassis is going to be the AMR 23 with a Mercedes power unit. Aston Martin, their first team entry was in 2018, but that was under the, I believe, would have been still Force India at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like changed change hands since then. So they have one pole position and one P1, no championships, no fastest laps. So as far as accolades, the Aston Martin team, super, super green. But one of the important notes we have is the uh, P1 race finish. Now, that was your boy Sergio Perez at the 2020 Sakir Grand Prix, where he gets knocked out right in the beginning. He kind of runs tight to a Charles Leclerc, gets out, has to pit. He's P18. And goes from P18 all the way to P1. That was the same one where they double stacked George Russell. George Russell's in for Lewis Hamilton. It was it was that whole shebang. So yeah. that was Aston Martin's first victory. And so far, their only victory. So that, that's a Sergio Perez. Now, they started way back 1959 as I believe they were Jordan. At the t- or no, not Jordan. I'm sorry. It was Aston Martin at the time, 1959. They didn't score any points in that year, so they they left. They were like, all right, we're not doing this. So it was a long time since we've seen them again. All sorts of like organizational changes and like team name changes and all sorts of stuff. Overall, pretty uncompetitive team throughout most of their history. Obviously, the Force India squad was not that great. Um, They ran from 2008 to 2016, I believe, where Lawrence Stroll got involved. He starts paying out a whole bunch of money, changes it then to Racing Point. Yeah. And and then... And do you remember why that happened? The... Uh, the uh, the change, yeah, because our boy, let me get his name, Vijay Malia, his company goes into administration. Basically, they were like ran out of money um, and there was all sorts of all sorts of collection notices piling up on my man's door. So they had to get a buyer for the team pretty quickly. Yeah. Lance Stroll <laughs> picked it up. And then we have the Aston Martin purchase in 2021. Um, and that's, and that's where we've been since. So a little bit, a little bit of history with the team. Like I said, I know you remember that race. Um, and then there was also the, uh, there was also the race where Sebastian Vettel gets a podium at Azerbaijan with uh, with Racing Point where Lar where Lance Stroll was P three. 
that was when Max, 200 miles per hour, just lost a tile on that or a tire on the main straight, crashed into the wall. Exciting stuff there. So basically, what I'm trying to tell you is Aston Martin, not actually the most exciting team throughout history, but this is where the story changes, my friend. 2022 and 2021, in my opinion, based on the data that I've seen, has been a pretty landmark year for Aston Martin, or landmark years, I should say, for Aston Martin. The consistency and the class of drivers that they've had in those years, I mean, they've had Seb for, for a good number of years. A lot of success came from, from Sergio when he was with them as a racing point. There's a good amount of consistency coming from Stroll, what was Seb, and Alonzo. It seems when he was racing for Alpine, I mean, Alonzo was doing like insane. I think he was in the top three of overtakes in 2022, or if not top three, he was right there in, in position four. He was, he was one of the most overtaking drivers of the season. So with that kind of veteran status and the, the car that they've been able to provide has been like P nine P 10, just consistently like damn near every weekend. There are even some outliers outside of that. So I think this all kind of adds up to this kind of era for the organization has got to be hands down like their best possible period for success where they they've not had that many opportunities. Um, and I think with their new contract of Fernando Alonso and Lance Stroll, who you know, if you've been listening since the start, we used to be very critical of a land stroll. We would say, "Ah, oh, man, look at this guy. He can't even, he can't even drive. Like, does he know the speed limit? Get this grandma some glasses, like just all of these things. But now it was hard last, like it was hard during last year's pod to not talk about him in the way of like, well, there he is getting points again, consistent drive. Look at that qualifying. So... I really, really do believe going into 2023, we're seeing Aston Martin like on a serious, serious uphill, or at least a a point on an uphill trajectory that, like, quite frankly, I'm I'm pretty excited to see now that I've learned a little bit about it, seen some of their landmark races, and are like, oh, okay, like, yeah, like we were here for that. Um, yeah, we- I'm seeing I'm I'm seeing a pretty confident Aston Martin. Would you say it's like a, a good point for like a takeoff? Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Like, like the one that Lance Stroll launched Fernando Alonso into when he <laughs> when he pulled into his way on the straight this past yeah, season. Could be something like that. <laughs> I hope we don't see repeats of that. But yeah, no, no it, I it could be something similar. <laughs> Sorry, had to uh, had to throw a little joke. No, that, but no, that I, was I, a good one. That was a good one. <laughs> I think that uh no, I think you're right. They they did have some really consistent finishes this past year. They were hanging up in uh kind of the middle of the pack for the constructors. They finished tied for well, finished seventh, but with uh same amount of points as Alfa Romeo. Um and so really fighting for the top of that that middle group kind of. Mm-hmm. Um 
So definitely, I, I agree. I think having one Sebastian Vettel on the team to provide good um, kind of help with development and knowledge for the team um, and then bringing in Alonzo as well, I think that is uh, pretty smart. I think Lance is not as um, bad of a driver as I make it sound when I – when I give him a hard time. Um, so he, he's had some really solid performances on the team. Um, he, he still makes some, some dumb mistakes, but hopefully having some veteran leadership next to him, I think uh, will continue to just help him develop as a driver. Like it, mm. it definitely can't hurt. So, um, so I think that they do have a, a good kind of trajectory, which is again, why Fernando decided he was going to, take that contract mm-hmm. yeah and i think that of, of of all the things you could learn the the readiness with which a driver of his caliber like sought out that contract is kind of telling for where they are developmentally as a as a team yeah i you know i definitely um yeah, I definitely expect them to have some some good performances this coming season. Yeah, so we have this uh we have this middle-aged, you know, young, hot and ready team and uh we'll, we'll see what they can do. Definitely. I'm looking forward to it. Um I'll I'll start you off um with a uh just fun little I, I'll Maybe it's like a caption on the dating profile. Okay. Um, it's uh it says uh once told my teammate to suck my balls. <laughs> um <laughs> and uh as <laughs> that will lead us into the the new uh team partnership of <laughs> Nico Hulkenberg and Kevin Magnuson, um, who at a, a post race moment back in Hungary 2017, Nico was upset about uh, some contact between the two drivers uh, and kind of told him off a little bit pretty, pretty like, hey, man, you're like one of the worst drivers like out there on the grid, like while Kevin's being interviewed and he he goes, suck my balls, mate. (laughs) And so uh, those two are teaming up, but it sounds like they have put that uh, all in the past. It's a humorous story, but uh, the team is uh, actually not one of, a, of too much, but I, I think a team of growth. Um, they have kind of decided, uh, as we've talked about before, to go away from the young drivers who uh, really haven't been able to help them develop the car because they're too busy trying to figure out how to drive an F1. And so Haas is, uh, has turned back time, has two veteran drivers in the seats. Um, and as I had mentioned last week uh, or the week before, Haas is a team that is uh, expected to be now at the budget cap, um, the 135 million cost cap to be able to spend the full budget with their new sponsorship with MoneyGram and partnership with them. Um, so now they not only have the uh, finances to develop and try and propel themselves forward, they also have 
uh, a driver or another veteran driver on the team to help take them in the right direction. They've already moved in the right direction this past season. They leapfrogged over uh, Williams and AlphaTauri in the constructor standings uh, in just one year after having Nikita Mazepin and Mick Schumacher as their two drivers, uh, bringing in Kevin Magnussen and Mick Schumacher getting progressively better um, in the new car performed pretty well. Uh, So they've got a lot of things going for them. However, looking at this driver's lineup, it's, it sounds great. You've got veterans, but this past season, Kevin Magnuson finished 13th in the driver's championship back in 2020 when Nico Hulkenberg was uh, in F1 still uh, with Racing Point. He only brought in 10 points throughout the season and finished 15th in the constructor's standings where on the other end of it, Sergio Perez, his teammate in the racing point, finished up in fourth in the constructors or in the driver's standings, 125 points to Nico Hulkenberg's 10. Um, actually, I messed up. That's when Nico Hulkenberg was subbing in. So let me look at the previous year. I had that wrong. Sorry. The previous year in uh, the Renault, which was his last full season drive, Nico Hulkenberg finished in 14th with 37 points, where Daniel Ricciardo finished ninth. So still, uh, even in that comparison, not kind of stacking up to the teammate. Um, So I don't know if... Bringing in a veteran is helpful a lot of times, especially when it's a veteran like Sebastian Vettel or Fernando Alonso. World champions, race winners. When you're looking at uh, Nico Hulkenberg coming in, he's had 181 starts, one pole position, two front row starts, no race wins, no podiums, Mm. two fastest laps. Sure. Kevin Magnuson. One pole position uh, from this past year, zero front row starts because of uh, losing that position in the sprint race. Um, No race wins and one podium, two fastest laps. So these guys have no race wins over uh, a combined 320 some odd races. Um, One podium between the two of them a few fastest laps, but really there is a big gap there in terms of the quality of the veterans compared comparatively to guys like Sebastian Vettel, Alonzo, um, Lewis Hamilton, some of these guys who have been around for a while. So I think that although it may give them more stability, uh, and may help them move up a little bit. I don't know if it's going to be quite the catapult right now for them to really shoot way up the standings. Um, I do think that maybe this will allow them to build some progress with the car, build the development, um, get the team in a better place for maybe bringing in a younger, higher ceiling talent driver 
um, to come into a developed car and kind of show what they can do in it um, mm-hmm. in, in the coming years. So this this is a kind of a, a takeoff point as well for Haas. I think it's uh, but it's more of a, a growth and kind of laying the foundation. You're, they're laying the um, the launch pad down. They're put. They're pouring the concrete. They're getting the little tower for the the rocket ship to to stand next to as opposed to that engine's kind of rumbling for uh for the aston martin team interesting that's a nice little allegory there i like that so but like okay how long are can they like stay in formula one i'm worried that if these two drivers can't put up adequate results like adequate is whatever Haas defines it to be like can't put up adequate results I'm I'm worried like uh do they just have to like hit the contract board again and then it just becomes like another I'm Mm. I I guess like that's my worry for a Haas with contracts like this well I think that the the thing with this is and like I I do understand the concern about rotating contracts but uh if they're worried about maybe like two new drivers it, they could just say hey whoever does better this year like you're staying and whoever whoever doesn't because mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure they're both on like standard five uh or standard one-year contracts not like a, a long-term right. deal so i think it, it leaves the door open um for the potential to change one driver not necessarily both um but also i don't see haas like going anytime soon gene haas has like has had the team here in f1 for a few years now haas has been um been around since just 2016 so it's a, a very new team uh gene haas now has gotten partnerships with and enough sponsorships uh, to be able to get them financially where they need to develop the car and all. So I think that this is actually kind of where they're hitting their stride in ability to match the other teams. Without the cost cap, they would still probably not have that much of a shot. But for for a, like a company, the, a big company, MoneyGram, coming in to say, hey, we'll sponsor you, we'll get you to that, to that cost cap so you can fight with the bigger bigger teams on the grid and everything now you're on a level playing field uh at least with development ability of the car um that's a a pretty good spot to be if they haven't been there yet it really does Mm -hmm. open the uh open up the opportunity for um for them to kind of rise up and and grow um their development, maybe be able to hire on and bring in some uh, better engineers or people with different ideas or, or whatever that may turn into for that development, but definitely opens more doors for them. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I think that's a pretty, pretty good assessment of where Haas is at as a, as an organization. I'm like, I really want, I guess like, I guess we're looking for either Nico or Magnuson to have their best career or yes. 
That mm-hmm. is exactly what I meant to say. No, have their best year in their career. Yeah. No, I, I think that is um, definitely like what you can kind of hope for with this. I mean, mm-hmm. we've had uh, for Kevin Magnuson, his best finish in terms of uh, driver finish was in 2018. He finished ninth. Everything else has been 13th through 20th on the grid. Um, okay. and the other years, Hulkenberg, um, always kind of up in that midfield between his, uh, force India days and Sauber and Renault, um, between ninth and 15th, uh, but a lot of ninth, 10th, 11th, uh, in there. So okay. he's had a slightly higher, um, average finish, but I think depending on, how it is coming back into F1 after a couple of seasons uh, of not being a full-time driver um, may kind of bring them more on a a similar playing field with that. So Mm. it'll be, it'll be interesting to see, but I think having two veteran drivers, the thing that it does do is it eliminates a lot of stupid mistakes. It eliminates spinning out into walls and having to spend too much money on repairing and rebuilding cars um, it allows them f- to focus on that development as opposed to focusing on repairing a, a vehicle that was that was crashed. So, looking at you, Yuki. Exactly. Mm-hmm. No, I hear that. So it's, uh, I think, a good spot for them to be in. Um, I do still expect them to finish in that eight, nine, ten range this year, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised to. Um, necessarily see them get uh, a few nice finishes up in that um, higher up range, maybe some fifths, sixths if they uh, if they have some some really good days. Yeah, no, I think definite like clear clear routes to progress, and it wouldn't take much to see um, like to see some big uh, at least personal records being broken. I think they have the potential there. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, and they only beat Alpha Tauri by two points in the constructors this last year. Um, so it is still a, a tough fight down where they're at mm-hmm. in the, the standing. So they uh, hopefully will be able to, to put up a good fight throughout the season. We'll get to see some exciting racing from them. Um, but yeah, that is my Haas rundown. Nice. Yeah. So next week we'll be looking at Alfa Romeo and McLaren kind of kind of obviously just doing the same uh, same similar thing on the run up to the start of the season. I believe um, I believe Bahrain is March 5th and then there's like testing before that. So basically we're we're going to look at all the teams leading up to those dates. Um, but yeah, so that was Haas and uh, it was Haas and Aston Martin this evening. Now we've got some good League of Legends to talk about here. Um, I think we should just start with the North American game, it being just a best of one. Yep. Um, but uh, interesting, interesting game. Uh, my initial thought would be like, this is a really, like, this would be a really good example of a game to look at where one team has 
or like one team has to have agency in the early game because you look at you look at the other side and you say like oh they have a lot of scaling on the other side so the aggressive picks like have to work out in the early game for blue side in this scenario or mm. else red side just like scales all day right. and i think unfortunately like you could look at if if you look at it from the red side it's a good example of a team playing to their win conditions avoiding like the crucial like powder keg moments and then just looking to scale and then from like the blue side you look at it and it's a good example of like you you actually found those chances they just like uh they they were on the defense just a little bit better so you can see Mm -hmm. how those attempts from blue side like were definitely the right idea but a one two gets stuffed and like now all of a sudden you're you're in like a 3k deficit just like trying to get ahead um so it it was a textbook game of league of legends like in from my from my opinion if you look at it that way yeah i think that's kind of the best way to look at it with this you have two very different matchups you have the scaling i like what you said with a powder keg there nice little allusion to impact's beautiful gangplank play there in the top lane um but I I agree, and we'll see this a little bit in the LPL matchup that uh, that we had this week. But the um, the focus, like you said, has to be from Team Liquid on blue side uh, to put some early pressure and to get early leads. And Pioshek just couldn't do what he wanted to early. Um, Eon and Core JJ weren't winning in the bot lane. Um, Impact was winning in the top lane uh, in the Gangplank Jax matchup, which is definitely Gangplank favored early. So it's uh, it is even though it's a scaling pick, it is a good matchup because you do have the range that your uh, that your barrels and your um, your shot can give you. Um, so it definitely helps with the early game there but it was played out very, very well by Impact. Um, and then Spica was just very, very helpful with the Maokai pick there. And Vi is, it just, yeah, or not just Vi, but Team Liquid, Team Comp, if they can't get ahead early, like you said, there's no ability for them to really climb back into the game because FlyQuest either has the CC or the cleanse or the tankiness to kind of dodge out of whatever wombo combo ultimate Vi chase down that you get before you can put enough damage on them to, to actually kill them. Yeah. And you saw like a couple moments where uh, PO chicks Vi was looking to, alt like a a vikla or a prince and just their mobility was able to take the vi just out of position and you know because she's been pretty pretty stuffed in the early game like you know she's not that tanky she's not going to be able to survive or do enough damage to even one shot that carry Jax Mm -hmm. is not having a great matchup in 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 the top side either so summit's not even able to like 
to be like dive buddy in that scenario. Um, so the pieces for the pieces for team liquid, like really kind of break down in those pick scenarios when the frontliners like just aren't, aren't tacky enough to do that. And you have so much mobility on red side. Yeah. And I think the, um, what maybe could have helped work out a little bit better for team liquid in this instance is going with a, um, maybe a bot lane matchup where you can get someone with a little more tankiness in that support role. I know the Lucian Nami is very strong and mm-hmm. like, I understand the priority on that, but there has to be a point where you kind of look at it also as, Hey, like we, we do have to get ahead with this team comp early or we lose, but mm-hmm. to also not have the tankiness to then withstand damage later in the game either and having a very very squishy team comp overall just kind of exacerbates the issue of if you get behind you are just in trouble so maybe a different pick there in the bot lane uh could have helped where on the other side the maokai and the shields and uh, polymorphs and ultimate from the Lulu give a lot of ability to withstand those bursts of damage that are coming out mm-hmm. from Liquid Squad um, and kind of round out that that comp pretty well. Yeah, I think in the pick and ban, it's really, really tough to get away from that little triumvirate, the lulu yumi nami i think it's really hard to get away from that but we have seen um i think it was southward that was playing leona i'm not sure how like strong it is overall how how much teams like it but you're right i think there may be may be some some wiggle room there to have at least a little more lockdown and tankiness out of your support especially when you're up against a zeri where you want more redundancy for like almost just point and click lockdown for the Zeri because she is so mobile and she is so fast. You basically just want to like just root her in place for as long and as easily as you can. Right. So I would definitely agree. There may, there may be room there for a more um, like engage heavy support, but yeah, I think it was just a, a, a scaling team comp played really well by FlyQuest. We didn't mm. really see much out of Vikla. He did avoid the plays that would have gotten Team Liquid ahead. Um, but 04 on an on an Azir isn't the best uh first showing for the NALCS, especially as far as mid laners go. Um, but yeah, they were able to bring it out nine one and two from Prince on the Zeri. Um, yeah, it's not stopping anytime soon. No, definitely not. But uh just like one other quick note regarding um that game the picks and bans were um pretty consistent with what we're seeing i think uh around the the different leagues so rise and cassidy as priority bans uh cassante who we've seen be pretty popular in that pick ban as well coming out in the bands um Akali and uh, Silas as well, who we've seen a lot over in the LCK and the LPL. Um, the both, special. Yeah, both getting uh, getting kicked out. So um, I think the LCS, it seems to be on a, a pretty similar mindset in terms of these picks and bans at the mm-hmm. moment. And we've seen that kind of 
looking through some of the other LCS games as well. Um, and shout out to TSM and C9, who both started out 2-0 in week one. Um, C9's got matchups this week with two other 2-0 teams. So what they've got, to be alive. got CLG and FlyQuest, and TSM has 100 Thieves EG. So, um, so it should be a pretty good week of League of Legends in the LCS, but you won't hear about it. We'll be talking LEC EMEA next week. Um, but to move along into the LPL, if you want to go there first, yeah, let's um, do it. we had the matchup of Rare Adam and um, uh, Rare Adam and Ninjas in Pajamas. I wanted to kind of take a look at this Ninjas in Pajamas team and just uh, see how they're doing uh, as the team shifted over into uh, the new team and everything in the LPL. And it did not go very, very well in this matchup. Um, Rare Adam this past year had not been a very successful team. Uh, so looking at last season, they finished ninth in the standings at eight and eight. They were not just uh, like not quite there overall. Um, very even, just kind of middling team. And so coming out against uh, against this NIP squad, um, I was impressed by some things and um, kind of like could see the the weaknesses there on on both sides. Um, but looking at game one, we had a kind of full like. I guess it was, or I'm trying to think if I'm, yeah, I'm thinking of game one. So game one, NIP was trying to play to like the early win conditions, uh, similar to what we were talking about with Team Liquid. Uh, Mm -hmm. You see the Cassante on the other side, the Rise, um, Leona, who is going to get very tanky, Varus, who's going to be able to put out a lot of damage later in the game. Um, So you see uh, a pretty good scaling comp. Uh, they did have their own side to balance that out a little bit, especially with the Sivir. Um, but obviously, Rise can get pretty huge late game, and so they uh, did try to pressure early, and were actually a little bit successful. They got uh, early ganks, they got an early dragon, they stopped Rare Adam's attempt at the Rift Herald and actually stole the, the smite on the Rift Herald, even though they weren't able to get it. So they really made an effort early. Um, they they got to three dragons without really too much pushback. Um, but Rare Adam kind of hung around, keeping up and even with gold, um, pressuring turrets, getting some picks uh especially starting to to bully rich in the top lane there a little bit um and overall rare adam kind of was able to withstand that early kind of onslaught from nip and uh start out scale start to utilize um some really good macro play of getting some picks on champions and then going for objectives going trying to get uh, barons and whatnot. Um, but they tried to, to take Baron 
they tried to utilize that and it uh they they just were not successful and NIP had had dream on the Silas kind of popping off. So they they had some of that faltering that we see with um teams with a bit less experience and everything um just not quite playing out from a positive board state in the best way, giving up mm-hmm. advantages. Um, so I, it was a really a, a pretty even back and forth matchup. I felt like um, between Rare Adam and NIP. What were uh, your thoughts? I guess looking at Game One, you talked about the Leona a little bit with Southwind playing that. When we're looking at some some tankier bot lane options there. Yeah, to be fair, I I honestly really like the Leona in this spot here. Like, the problem with Heimerdinger is the like ability for him to just like run you around the. T- and I don't think they were able to capitalize it on it in the early game, but at least the idea is there. Like, you can just slam onto that Heimerdinger and just try and rush him down to just turn off the turrets. Like instead of just playing turret removal, just play player removal. Right. And then the turrets turn off. Um, So I really like the idea in that scenario. And then also it just gives you just great long range engage. Like I think people forget about the Leona alt that you can, you're casting it from like half a screen away. Um, so the same the same kind of engage potential that you get from like an ash alt, you know, where you can come from a little far away. Uh I really like that element there. The Leona Varus, just a deadly bottom lane. Um, so from a draft perspective, I I I do really enjoy it. I don't think um I don't think NIP did anything wrong. Um I think Rare Adam just had some good ideas about their own draft as well. Um, Fotick going 7-3-6 and six was the only chance that they were going to have in that game. But yeah, some of the some of the barren play, some of the neutral play obviously was not as clean as their, you know, their compatriots uh, further up the further up the board. But yeah, I thought game one was uh, was pretty fun. And to be fair, I actually just kind of like watching Kesante. I've seen a bunch of games on him now. His abilities are really cool. I like the high risk, high reward where like you like you pick a point to X out your health and you say, I, I can't get healthier than this, but I'm like, I'm even more of a badass in this scenario. And that's, that's really fun. I like the crowd control that he offers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think in game one here, it was a, it was a pretty good spot. And then moving on to game two, you get the classic uh, Gwen Camille matchup. And just looking at the side of uh, rare Adam, like their, their pick comp is just insane here. Like mm-hmm. they're the, the, the amount of times they're able to just find one person and just X them out super quick and create four V fives was uh, pretty impressive. Um, so yeah, I really like what rare Adam did with their, with their team comp. Yeah, I, I agree. And they like, this is where they kind of did what they were trying to do in game one, even better. Um, mm. They, they kind of built on that. And from just in, Game one, they would find a pick and then try and push an objective and try and gain some pressure on the map and whatnot. And they were still finding themselves getting caught out 
Fotic, uh, like he he would have gotten away with that win if it wasn't for that meddling Leona. Um, like he he was having a really solid game and keeping them in that. Um, but in game two, Rare Adam really was. They were finding the picks and then taking very quick advantages with it. Um, they just continued to to pick off the Camille who was trying to split push and try and push out lanes and whatnot. Um, they just absolutely made some crocodile skin boots out of dream in the mid lane. Um, it was it, that, that was pretty rough. Um, and late in the game, uh, the, the casters brought it to my attention, but we saw uh, dream on the Renekton get just absolutely nuked into oblivion. Like he was there and then he was gone. It was Houdini and he just, he had no magic resist in his build other than Merc treads. This man had guardian angel prowlers, claw blade of the rune King and a Ruby crystal at the end. And he's mm-hmm. facing Gwen, who does stupid amounts of AP damage. Silas, who does stupid amounts of AP damage. A Heimerdinger that's doing all this AP damage. I and think Varus, with his stacks of uh, Blight on someone, is I believe so. either partially AP or, or true damage when you're mm-hmm. hitting that. So it's like, he just fell behind and just like doubled down on just not being able to stay alive. It was uh, definitely an easier game for Rare Adam and they, they took their time to, to close out the game properly to not push too far and slip up like they did with the Baron play in the mm-hmm. previous game. It was, it was good to see um them being able to, I thought I felt like in game one they had a bit better of overall macro play and like a game plan of how to try and push advantages that they got than NIP did. Um, NIP had a, a full game plan and that worked for the most part, but uh, Rare Adam, like it felt like they honed in a bit more in game two on. Um, how to take those advantages and how to not squander them, even if it meant closing out the game at 39 minutes um, with a, a pretty significant lead as opposed to uh, 37 minutes off of a, a pretty even team fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I do think ninjas in pajamas there. There was a point kind of in the like, like, later stage mid game where they did have uh, a bit of an advantage. And if I remember correctly, I think they went a little too far forward and kind of gave tempo back to rare Adam. Um, so just from your perspective of like both teams having things to work on uh, ninjas and pajamas, maybe, maybe overstepping that advantage a little too far uh, where they had, they had an opportunity to get some gold like on a couple turrets or something. Um, mm. and yeah. Photo had gotten some kills uh, while they were posturing around Baron and they tried to push down, um, mm-hmm. took a couple of turrets uh, and then kind of backed off, but then immediately over, like dream overextends again on mm-hmm. their neck and it turns it back for rare, rare Adam. 
Right. So to, to your point about some of these teams having to shore up that decision making. Um, yeah, I don't think that's something that they'll look to. Re- uh, you know, in the, in the short term. Yeah. So uh, definitely two, I, I think still expected to be kind of more middle of the road teams, potentially mm-hmm. playoffs. Um, but right now rare Adam is two and zero with a four, one record. Um up there in third in the uh, the LPL standing. So um, they've had a, a hot start compared to, uh, I think, expectations, and we'll see how it goes uh, moving forward. But NIP uh, at one and one, not the worst way to start off, but I think um, we had a little bit higher expectations for the previously V5 squad after uh, some good performances in the lpl uh of recent mm-hmm. yeah that's um it's it's tough to see that significant break of form but uh you know they'll, they'll it's, still, it's still super early in the season mm-hmm. so plenty yeah. of league of legends uh to get to including over in the lck tell us about it we had the uh dragon x squad versus the Nongshim red force yeah, so this is the, you know, current fucking world championship team and Nongshim Red Force. This was week two, day three. Um, so just a just a couple of things right off the bat from uh, game one is the coordination from Nongshim seems super questionable around the Baron. Like it looked like two different calls were being made um so right from there i mean that's like later in the game but i think it's the most glaring example of like a weakness in the team where it looked like one player was ready for one play and then an, and and then another set of them were ready for a different different play i'm not sure how much it changes the outcome of the game but you could definitely see the miscommunication playing out and then they kind of had to regroup and scramble. That was Um, when Fiesta was flanking around the blue buff, right? Coming up towards the Baron. Yeah. And it looked like just an easy turn onto the Azir. And I think it was Krako Mm -hmm. on Maokai. It looked like an easy turn for the four that were on the Baron to tie up the Azir and the Maokai, get the kill, get the smite off the board. And then they could just go back to the Baron but they opted for this like weird stay on the Baron slash chase scenario slash walk to the back of the pit. And three of us are going to flash out. Okay, great. Like, eh. so from that scenario, I I think we're seeing still some uh, meshing that has to go on with Nongshim, especially around those like, like big neutral late game objectives. Um, rest of the game like seems fine. The one thing I the one thing I want to call out is the um Elise that we're seeing. We saw bands of Elise in the LPL. We're seeing it get picked up a whole lot more. Um, so that's an interesting one. I think with the magic damage burn that we've got going on, mm-hmm. I think that kind of increases Elise's um uh attractiveness. So, you know, fine there, but overall just a pretty pretty fine game there from uh DRX to take the the advantage that Nongshim had, steal a baron and then say, "All right, this game's ours now." Um so Nongshim had 
a lot of options, a lot of options, but gave it away to DRX in the end. So we start off on a pretty questionable foot in game one there, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would say so. I think the the biggest highlight um, for Nongshim on their side was the the early game from the Elise. Um, and I, it makes sense why you are seeing the Elise. Uh, the cocoon, and I don't know if there's been, I'll have to see if there are any buffs or anything, but the cocoon stun time from Elise has always been, if you scale that first, a really strong aspect of locking someone down to burst them out. And when you have this much damage, especially from Fiesta, who played amazingly on the Akali, the other bright spot, um, you can really just nuke someone out before that cocoon kind of ends. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they're not, not a, a ton of good things to, to look at in game one. So yeah, coming into game two, I think, uh, it was, I was a little unsure how it was going to, to go. Um, they pick a relatively similar comp as they did in game one, swapping out the top lane for the Cassante and the uh, mid lane for the Silas as opposed to the Akali. Still very bursty mobile mid lane champion for Fiesta. Um, and the Cassante in the top lane was fun to watch there. And that was... Uh, kind of where I was getting a, a bit more of that excitement you were talking about with the champion of seeing the mobility, um, the kind of outplay potential with its uh, drawbacks if, if misplayed, but but played out really well um, by, and is it Dundon? I think they were calling him Dindin. Dindin, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so for Dindin in the top lane, he played very well on the uh, on the pick. Yeah, it was sweet, but dude, I you my heart goes out to Rascal, man. And there was like and those in that opening sequence where they uh they think they have the Lucian called out. So so DRX gets like kind of a loop on Lucian. Lucian's running away. He calls Fiesta down, and they're actually able to turn, you know, Lucian being out of position into a kill and then an advantage. Mm. And then goddamn like they literally are just able to take that. I think it's like four kills that they mop up there. They just take those four kills and just like, just take that advantage all the way to the end of the game. But you just feel bad for Rascal in this position. He's like zero, zero, zero dead. Even farm has not given like any advantages to Dindin. And he's just like looking bottom lane and his whole team's just dying. It's like, stop, please. Yeah, it's uh it's tough to be in that position and just be like, oh my god, this is just this looks so bad. Dude, top lane just like uh so just FF of 15, I guess. Like what the hell are you guys doing? Top lane island. Yeah. Sitting up there. Sit, they sit up there on their on their the top of the map judging everyone. <laughs> sure. Exactly. Oh, we're so superior up here. We know when to base. We don't die. Oh, that's tough, Lanners. But yeah, I felt bad for Rascal. But honestly, like like all jokes aside, you really have to commend Nongshim. They they took that early advantage, Vital and Peter on the Nami. They are able to take that advantage and just push it, carry it into other lanes. And Nongshim are able to are they're able to win the game off that. They end the game oh, with yeah. like a 12k gold lead. Um I do want to commend uh Peter's play on the Nami. Not that 
not that I think DRX was like ever winning this game, but in the last fight, Peter got a really nice flash forward bubble onto Dwokdom Zeri. And that just, that's lights out, team fight done, GG. And to be honest, I think Nami may be in my top five of League of Legends champions. Like it is that show stopping, that ability. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm a big fan. Shout out Peter. Great Nami play. Um, yes. Sealed it up for his team Nongshim right there in the end. But that puts us at one and one on the series. Um, so we move into game three there. Yeah. And that was uh that was a pretty ugly one. We see um kind of the flip of the mid lane matchup fake takes the uh, fate takes the more aggressive uh uh bursty pick where fiesta takes the the scaling mage in the mid lane um and the only place that i felt like drx was able to to try and gain some advantages a little bit they uh they knocked well i mean Fiesta was the only person on the team who died, so that's not really saying too much, I guess. But um, but yeah, across the map, uh, Nongshim was like able to to get some pretty pretty nice leads. Yeah, I thought the. I mean, it was it was really just that dragon fight. They were able to get that first like initial advantage. So Fate steals. Fate steals Vial. Gets Fiesta goes super deep like into into the Nongshim like backline like kind of he basically just like chases Azir out Azir doesn't die though crucially mm-hmm. so fate was just like so you know blinders on towards Fiesta the rest of his team is just getting slaughtered behind him he turns around and he's like wait you guys couldn't uh and then and then it's just over from there but and then you even get like such an advantage from Nongshim later where I'm pretty sure the last team fight that they won was like a four V five. I'm pretty sure Azir was literally running from base and they, they mopped up like two kills on, on DRX. Yeah. I think that is just about how that went. (laughs) Yep. So that's a pretty rough spot to be in there for DRX. And it is just this, it is Nongshim just like taking these one kind of, you know, one play large influx of gold and they're taking it to the end of the game. So from that perspective, like you got to commend them. They're playing clean league of legends mm-hmm. in that regard. Um, especially in, especially in games two and three here where they take an early decisive advantage and just push it through. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I thought it was, I thought that was, that was pretty good. Yeah, it's definitely, they've, they've, had some very well played League of Legends uh, in that in that matchup. There's still uh, some shakiness, I think, around the the team as a whole. They are at a one and four record, but yeah. if they can put that kind of uh, performance forward, I have a lot more hope for them to to kind of continue to um, just like build a better team, figure out how their play mm-hmm. style works and everything throughout the season. Um, we'll have the rematch coming up uh, on March 4th. It's uh, it's a plan. It's a party. It's a fiesta of fate. But Damn, um, that was good. That was really good. <laughs> uh, but we've... We've got plenty of more LCK and LPL and uh, and all to get through before we we get there. But mark it on your calendars, ladies and gentlemen. The uh, 
oh man, that was too good. I can't even. <laughs> it. I don't want to ruin it. But yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of League of Legends. Now, if you don't mind, let me talk about some Magic games we had this Let's week. Let's get into it. Absolutely. And, uh, maybe less about the games and just kind of you know just a fun fun night of cards uh we played played two games i played my blue white uh blue white draw a lot of cards deck uh with azor the Lawbringer, and then a new list that i that i was able to put together recently uh commander's name is gen arcanum weaver so it's his colors are white red and black he has an he has an activated ability on him. He's a two three. He says you pay a white, red, and a black. Tap him, sacrifice an enchantment, and then you can return target enchantment from your graveyard to the battlefield. So you basically like like turn one thing into another. So I need uh maybe some better ways or play around my graveyard a little bit better um but overall i really liked the deck i liked how it played um i think i just ran into some tough matchups i'd be interested to see what the deck is like if it kind of gets humming maybe a turn or two sooner in the game that i played i didn't have any like early game ramp like i didn't hit any of my mana rocks to like accelerate a little bit mm-hmm. So I'm curious if I if I hit a mana rock or two in the early game and like a good enchantment, I think I'd be a little bit better off than I was. But overall, I really liked the way the deck played. I it was a lot of fun. Um, nice. So I is this that. one that you had developed with the deconstruction and reconstruction of your cards? Yep. Okay. And was able to put a couple, just like a couple from the collection, uh, got a few from some friends and was able to put a pretty like complete list together. Um, nice. There isn't anything like. I have some key cards that would be like, oh, that might be nice, but the only thing would be like taking them out of a deck that they're already in and then just finding a good swap for that where. I think the the Gen deck has some reasonable room for upgrades still, but overall I'm pretty comfortable w- with where it's nice. at. Um, just got to get more games in with it, obviously. But one thing I notice about our like the way our games go, a lot of the wins are creature based wins with combat damage. So one player is able to just like develop a big, big enough board state where you can't remove all the important things. And then they're just like, well, I'm going to swing at you. All right. I'm going to swing at you again. And now you're dead. What what was that? Starcraft. Was that like Zerg rush or something? Yeah, Yeah, you got it. Zerg rush. And it seems like a lot of them are kind of that or like one huge freaking guy just like punching over and over. Um, so I don't know what that says, but maybe, maybe I need to have some more board wipes or some more things that D at least D incentivize attacking me. Um, I, I feel like, so I, and this is like, you're primarily seeing this with the commander nine group, right? Or are you seeing it like on, in all the pods you're playing in? I would say primarily Commander 9, less so with the Michigan gang. So with that, like, to be honest, I think just like the normal person who's getting into into magic 
the style that's the easiest or most understandable to go into is going to be mm-hmm. just mass amounts of like mm-hmm. the, the two that you talked about. So it makes sense like in a more casual fun play group that you're going to see those a lot more. And if you're if three out of the four decks that are on the field are kind are generally doing kind of concept, mm. then it's, it's going to be more likely. So I don't know if it says a ton about, like ability of your of your decks it's more the ability of your decks to withstand like two to three people also Mm -hmm. playing like these big amounts of creatures and and everything kind of play style sure yeah it's hard to keep blockers up for all that and i just gotta like stop being surprised like oh Oh no, a lot of creatures killed me. Oh, oh, why is that so surprising? <laughs> I, I just got to stop being surprised about it. Um, I got gotcha. But yeah, a lot of fun games. John brought a new, a new deck, same colors, black, red, white. Hmm. Commander Ishin, who Ishin doubles attack triggers. So for example, whenever this creature attacks, return target permanent whose mana value is cmc three or less from the graveyard to the battlefield when that attacks and that triggers ishin says do it again so the first time that we've seen this deck in the play group was with brett and he built that around like samurais and warriors so it was all like samurais with attack triggers and there's only a particular set of them that are going to be like that strong. And then the rest of them are, is like more flavorful than strong. Right. Gotcha. But John, obviously, cause we're, I, I, I think we're trying to play more powerful cards in general mm. is he built his to like, Oh, what could this really do? So his attack triggers were like super scary, super valuable. He was like, getting all sorts of creatures, all sorts of effects going on. Um, so that Ishin list was super fun to play against. He played it in both games. So we got to see like a decent bit of it. And it was like, holy shit, this thing is scary. Um, nice. That was fun. And then Ian, me and Ian traded for some cards. It was pretty cool. I thought I was going to be handing him a stack of, stack of cash, but he was actually able to find some cards in my binder that he wanted. And we were able to just trade full value for full value, close it with a handshake. And that felt pretty fucking good. Because not all the time are you able to like match value. Sometimes you're like, you know, handing a dollar here, doing this. But I thought that was pretty sweet. Yeah, that's cool, especially to be able to help build both of your decks with what you're looking for and mm-hmm. all. Um, so uh, definitely a nice way to to end the the evening. It sounds yeah, like yeah, I agree. It was uh, so it was a good time. Happy to get some magic games in, but uh, that's enough from the cardboard uh, cardboard wizard over here. Uh, give me your flavor of the week here, sir. So for my flavor of the week, um, for my music this week, I've just had a couple of artists. Like I've still been listening to some of this like indie and like chiller sounds uh, when I'm driving and to and from work, but there have been a couple of songs that have popped up on my like made for you playlist that, that Spotify does um, that have had that like. I don't know how to like I I couldn't figure out how to describe it but the older like vintage microphone sound where it's kind of like got a little bit of like almost like 
clean static to it or a little bit of a fall kind of to it like you would hear on one of those old silver mics that's got the little slits in it uh so yeah, and it was just really it's a cool sound it's like not it's pretty unique to to a lot of like today's music where everything is so like clean and crisp it gave this kind of like roughness to it a little bit without it like sounding rough it it just Mm. like kind of gave a little different vibe and so just uh it was cool while listening to music to have a little different sound that like stuck out to me Mm -hmm. um and then for my food this week um this weekend we i just was crushing making some good breakfast on saturday and sunday i i love making some some delicious breakfast so we were having um some bacon eggs i did an omelet one day i did over easy the other day um some bacon some uh pastries that we'd gotten from trader joe's some the chocolate chocolate filled croissant things uh they're so so good they they are they're delicious and so i i'm a big fan of like getting up on my Saturdays and Sundays and we went for a walk, like got a couple errands knocked out early. And then that like 10 o'clock breakfast, making some good food, making some lattes, um, getting the day going and and feeling pretty good. Uh, so that was my food for this week. Um, my visual medium, I am back on a nice little Naruto kick lately. I've gotten through, uh, Yep. So I've gotten through a, a good bit, uh, a couple of storylines recently. So Willie, when you hear this, we'll uh, we'll have to talk a bit uh, about that. Um, I'm getting, pa- I've I'm past the pain storyline and into uh, pretty deep in the Sasuke storyline. That's after that. So for any other weebs out there, you uh, you I'm sure know what I'm talking about. So. It's been pretty pretty good. A lot of exciting fights, a lot of like kind of crazy goings on, and so it's uh it's been easy to breeze through some episodes uh, again after I got through a little log of um kind of uh, filler episodes that gotcha that I worked my way through. There's apparently mm-hmm. a list of like Naruto episodes you can skip. And they like don't affect really watching the show, but I'm like 200 episodes into this thing, so I'm not going to just start skipping episodes. I'm just going to you know, work my way through it. Sure. And at a certain point, like, who decides that? Who decides what is relevant? Yeah, and I mean, like, all of the filler filler episodes have like things that broaden the character arcs of different characters but if you're mm-hmm. i guess looking at the specific this storyline they're kind of like oh this is a flashback episode and there was a string of like eight flashback episodes oh in a row, okay um where they do like it does build character development for a lot of side characters and all mm-hmm. and, and, along with a couple of the main characters but it doesn't further the plot of like where you're at in sure. in current time. Gotcha. So, okay. 
Um, so like, I guess they're skippable, but if I'm watching this many goddamn episodes of this show, then I am not going to just start skipping things. I'm doing it. I'm watching all of it. I'm getting through it and it'll just take me a while. So, uh, so yeah, that's my visual medium and, uh, my flavor of the week. Very cool. Very cool. I'll start where you ended. We were getting back into, we got off the wagon, but now we're back on the horse. We uh, were tuning into phase four of the MCU. We decided that we don't have to watch Black Widow again because we already saw it. But we did uh, Shang-Chi and Eternals so far. And then, so now the next one would be Spider-Man No Way Home. and these are not not as good, but definitely there's like some some stuff to enjoy in each of them. I thought it was funny, like I don't know i I don't know what the press was like for Eternals when it originally came out, and how the fuck Hen- Harry Styles ever did any kind of press without like revealing like, oh no, I'm not actually in the movie. I'm only in the post credit scene. I don't remember seeing very much like um, media or like uh, like advertisement marketing gotcha. for it. I remember like seeing like Marvel Universe Eternals like mm-hmm. kind of thing but not really a lot of additional like trailers or anything else really i don't think it was gotcha massively marketed unless you're like probably super in on the marvel universe on reddit or twitter or whatever right yeah so i i totally missed that but when googling and just like pulling up the wikipedia he's literally like the front left actor where it shows like the cast so like based on that and if you google other movies the front left is usually like the lead role so in my mind i literally waited two and a half hours i was like i wonder when they're gonna introduce harry styles character and he just never shows up until like like it's like in Dune. In Dune, they're yeah. they're like Zendaya. She's in this movie, and she's in it for like thirty seconds. And mm-hmm. you're like, you're like, is that it? And they're like, no. There will be much more in two years when right. we release the next one. Right? <laughs> like you sons of bitches. So I was just like, so that was just a funny element of the watching. But I have to say like one of the coolest things of the film was how they were able to show the scale of the celestials. So Mm. it's bait. So the Eternals is basically like, um, what if Greek mythology, but Marvel, it's like, it's that kind of angle. So you have the celestials as like these like world creating beings and they're like the big whatevers, but wasn't, None of that matters. Go ahead. Wasn't um, Chris Pratt's like dad in the Guardians of the Galaxy a celestial? Technically, I think he is. Okay, I think he is. Yes. Okay. So, regardless of like what they mean or what they are, I just thought it was awesome how they were able to show the scale of these beings. And the shots that they had of like 
how do you depict something that is like larger than a galaxy kind of thing? And mm-hmm. I really believe they did it well. And okay. part there is a section of the part. There's a section of the climax that if it wasn't 2023, it would be the most ambitious thing anybody could ever want to do. But because of the technology available today, it looks believable. And you're like, oh, whoa, that's like that is worthwhile attempting to do in film. And it and the scale really comes across. Nice. So whatever about the characters and whatever and how much it's connected, who who cares about that? I just really enjoyed like, wow, scale, right. Nice. And I thought that was like more than well, That's anything. a challenge. It's um, got to be challenging to do. So yeah, exactly. definitely uh, impressive. So I, so I thought that was neat. That's the movie. My food here for the week, dude, fucking Sarah, we made Mongolian beef from P.F. Chang's. Okay. It is... It's insanely simple. It's insanely simple. It's just like a simple sauce. You slice up some steak. You make a you make a rice. I I help I I help with the process. My God, this was one of the best meals I've ever had. Just because, like you know, you think it's this unattainable thing. I've got to go sit at this restaurant. I've got to pay this guy. I've got to smile at him. No, no, sir. We had it in the comfort of our own home. That's like we have. That's what prompted me to start like making a lot of the things that I make are things that I like see at restaurants and I'm like, that's too expensive. Like, mm-hmm. like well, I can do that. The reason I started making uh Penang curry is it's my favorite Thai food. And to get a uh, one serve, to get one serving of it for dinner is like $20 for Crazy. just me. It's, it's nuts. It should right. not be that expensive. Uh, and like, I like my Penang curry with shrimp. Like that's just, and so it's even more expensive. And sure. I'm like, so that's why I made that at home. But like, we've, we've done that with other stuff. We've done a lot of like Indian food with these, um, uh, the grocery stores around us have, they call them simmer sauces that you mm-hmm. like, you cook up your protein and veggies and all, and then you add the sauce, heat it mm-hmm. up, and put it over rice. And it's like, bomb mm-hmm. so yeah, I, that that sounds like a, a pretty good good option too my lord man and you get that like crispy beef because you fucking brown mm-hmm. it with the cornstarch my lord dude it oof, my oh i can't I can, yeah i can't say enough good things and then my music here for the week the shang chi uh soundtrack was pretty awesome whoever the music supervisor was picked a great soundtrack the ending song uh, for the for the credits, they picked a name. I don't know. I think it was off of a recent album. I don't know if it would have been written for the film. I think it was actually off of Oxnard. But either way, here in Pack at the end of at the end of the credits, I was like, "Oh my god, my dude!" And so I had to go back listen to listen to some Anderson Pack. If you hadn't heard it, listen to Malibu. It might be one of my favorite albums. Um, it's it's up there. So Anderson Pack got uh, some good rotations this week. But that is my flavor of the week here, sir. Beautiful. Love to hear it. Um, and as always, ladies and gents, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Uh, so thank you all for joining us. We really do appreciate it. Um, hit us with a follow on Twitter at Tall and Short of One. You can check us out on Google Podcasts, Spotify. Check us out on YouTube if you want to see our smiling faces. 
um, and hand gestures and all the other wildness that, uh, that we bring with us as we're talking through all this stuff. Um, but uh, we do really appreciate you taking the time to, to join us. Yeah, like Aaron said, just thanks so much. We we really enjoyed doing this, and we appreciate you listening. Um, so just tell your friends every Thursday, new episodes. You know, Aaron told you where to find us. This has been another episode of the Tall and Short of a Podcast. Peace out, everyone. See you next time.